Reader's Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. It's Monday, another week. Can you believe it? Summer is going to race right by. But anyway, I am very excited to be back with you. Today, we're going to be chatting with New York Times bestselling author Yasmin Gallinorn, and she is really a one-of-a-kind kind of person, and I can't wait for you to meet her. If you have not read her books yet, you're totally missing out. She writes urban fantasy and paranormal, and she will knock your socks off. So anyway, without further ado, let me read her bio for you. New York Times, USA Today, and Publishers Weekly bestselling author Yasmin Gallinorn writes urban fantasy and paranormal romance with over 60 books on the shelves. She's worked in both traditional publishing and is now indie publishing. Make sure you don't miss any of her releases. I did put a link um, right there on the Blog Talk site for you to sign up for her newsletter. She um, definitely keeps her readers informed. She's also on Facebook, too, so you can hook up with her there. Yasmin lives in Seattle, Washington area with her husband and is the mother of four cats. Um, (laughs) So, Yasmin, are you there? Hi. I'm here. Hi. (laughs) Yay. What's the weather like up there? Are you guys super hot? I know last summer you guys were burning up. Actually, we've had a wonderful summer. It's supposed to be, well, too warm for me this week, but we've had a really nice moderate summer, and I'm really grateful for that. I think it's supposed to reach about 80-something today, but compared to the rest of the country, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's a nice way to start off your week. <laughs> and you and you have a new book out, um, book seven in the Wild Hunt series. It's called The Witching Hour, right? Right. Right. You want to tell everybody is, about it? Well, um, Witching Hour is a almost spinoff of the Wild Hunt. The Wild Hunt series um, focuses on Ember, who is part light fae and part dark fae, and she works with the Wild Hunt Agency to sort of prevent the squabbles between the two fae courts from spilling out into the human world and causing collateral damage. And Witching Hour um, focuses on her friend Raven, who is a bone witch. And Raven is one of the anti-fae, which are the predecessors of the fae in this world. Oh. So, yeah, it's it's a unique series um, in that I'm focusing a lot on Celtic mythology and the gods and the gods interacting with the world. And it's uh, sort of a parallel universe, uh, current timeline, okay, so it's not- parallel universe. Okay. And it's, you know, and modern Seattle, like one step away. <laughs> okay. Okay, I like that. And so is is Raven, is she immortal? She was before the no. Fae? Um, the anti-Fae are not immortal. They can be killed, but they are very unique in terms of their abilities, and they're generally a lot more powerful than the Fae. And they're kind of scary, too. <laughs> they're all a little <laughs> bit whacked. Let's put it that way. 
And our <laughs> raven has three ferrets who have actually a secret past, and she has a pet gargoyle that she rescued from a demon. And uh, she basically won him in a poker game because the demon mis- mistreating the gargoyle. And now he's mm-hmm. her companion. He's uh, sort of like a cross between a friend and a dog. Put it that way. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever watch the cartoon Gargoyles? I loved that. I actually <laughs> never saw that. No, I didn't. <laughs> oh. Well, you'll have to put it on your list because, oh, my gosh, it was so good. They all named themselves after streets in New York, and uh, so they were Brooklyn, and it was it was a really cute series. So is Raven going to be like our new narrator? Because this is an urban fantasy series, right? Is she going to be our new narrator right. for a few books? Um, okay. I'm going to intersperse it. her. I'm going to intersperse her books with Ember's books. It's like uh, Witching Bones, which comes out in on September 2nd, is her second book, and then I'm going back to Ember for a few books, and then I'll go to Raven for a couple books. So her books will be interspersed, but they sort of they go along the same timeline. So um, her books weave in and out of the series. So how many books do you think will be in the series? Do you know? Um, <laughs> actually, that depends on they're they're doing really well, so I foresee it being a longer series. Um, let's put it this way: I have I have covers for a total of twenty at this point. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And we're and only I'm, on book seven so far, right? And I'm writing book nine right now. So. Oh, exciting! Do you know how the whole series is going to end already? Not particularly. I oh, don't okay. tend to see the end of the series. I mean, with Otherworld, I did. I knew the very end of the series. You know, I knew it would work out one way or another. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, got a slight scratchy throat today. Uh, but with the wild, <laughs> it's like I tend to just let the stories take me where they need to go. And so, yeah, well, when I'm writing a book, I know the basic highlights of the book, but I'm not sure how I'm going to get there until I get there. I love that. That's exactly, I'm not a plotter, but I usually know, you know, the theme or or the end, how the end of the book is going to be, but I never know how I'm going to get there, which makes me nuts sometimes. Sometimes I look at my friends who are plotters and I'm so jealous. Um, but most of the time I enjoy the adventure because you don't know what's going to happen. So it's exciting, right? I find that that does not constrain me like plotting does. Because I had to plot a few uh the very first books I wrote for Berkeley, which were mysteries. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that constrained me in the story because it I didn't have a chance to see where it wanted to go. You know, it's like right. I had to keep it within a, a framework. And I really prefer letting the story evolve organically. Yeah, me too. And I feel like as the book grows, the characters grow, and they sometimes make choices I never would have even thought of, you know, oh, at the yes. beginning of the book. And then I'm like, oh, my yes. gosh. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I feel yeah. that that is more, that's actually, uh, I feel more um, true to the characters. Because yeah. sometimes things, life throws you curves. And how you deal with it depends on what frame you're in at that point. And I feel like if I decide too far ahead how I want things to go, I'm sort of funneling the characters according to my mm-hmm. vision instead of what's true for the characters. Because they take on like an essence in your mind. They take on almost they a do. living, breathing essence. And if you mm-hmm. try to force somebody to do something that they wouldn't normally do or they don't want to do, for me that's that's when the writing stalls. You know, it's like I don't have mm-hmm. writer's block except when I try to force the story along a line that it is not that it does not want to organically go. Right. Right. I um I got to meet Ray Bradbury a couple times before he died and he used to believe that there's like a super conscious of of story, you know, cuz that's been around since before man and when it gives you a story, it's your job to to dictate that story, not to, you know, not to change it and so he always felt like the most honest story comes from when you trust your gut because your intuition is how you know the super conscious is downloading that and so you know so I always feel like when something magic happens I'm just like wow I was here for that you know kind of thing do you get that feeling oh yes and you know he was my favorite author he has always always been Without him ever having known it, he's always been my my mentor in a sense. Yeah. You know, reading his work, reading his interviews, that's what <clears throat> I always say. That's he taught me that prose can sing, that you can yes. make music with words. Mm-hmm. And his yes. his work always just it sang to me it it reverberated inside me. And it's like, you know, I, I always wished I could have met him. Oh, he was so passionate about the written word that he could talk about it and you just cried. Because <laughs> yeah. he just, you know, he, he was so amazing and alive. Even at the end, he's in a wheelchair. He can hardly hear. He's like, Jesus Christ, I get to write every day. How lucky are you? You know, and, and you're like, okay. <laughs> I absolutely love his book, Zen and the Art of Writing. You know, that's one of the books I constantly recommend to aspiring authors is is Bradbury's Zen and the Art of Writing because it it doesn't tell you how to write. It talks about the the psychology of writing and how it um, how it can affect you and how you can affect it. I mean, it's a brilliant book. It really is. There's an essay in that um, called um, Feeding Your Muse or something like that that is so good. It's worth reading over and over because it reminds you that you have to fill the well because right now um, you and I know because we've been doing indie publishing, but, you know, the push is that you got to keep having a book 
you know, books have to keep coming out. You have to keep writing and keep writing. And I keep hearing my friends who are burning out. And it always makes me go back to that essay where he's saying, you know, you need to fill the well. Go look at some art. Go watch a movie. Go read a comic book, you know, and keep filling the well because your muse needs those fresh ideas, you know, that are out there. And it's just such wise words. <laughs> for oh, I'm a media junkie. You know, it's like I'm very lucky in that I'm naturally prolific. I can write a whole lot, and I can write fast, and I can write tight. But I'm a media junkie. You know, I love movies. I love art. I love books. I, you know, it's like anything that has to do with media is inspiration for me. And also just the natural world, just sitting by Mm -hmm. a, a lake or a river, or the ocean, is rejuvenation for me. I agree. And when you when you first, well, I didn't even ask you the question, but <laughs> what was your writing journey like? When did you first start writing and decide, you know, wow, I think I could write a novel? How, how did it all unfold for you? I knew I wanted to be a writer from the time I was three. I was learning to read at that point and I still remember just I don't know how I found out I don't know who told me or if I just figured (laughs) it out but I remember that moment when I was three years old that I realized that people made books they made the books that I loved that I was learning to read that my mom read to me and right then I remember thinking I want to make books and wow. that was my focus from the time I was three. I never lost that drive. And I started writing when I could hold a pencil. And, and I started so telling my mom you... stories when I could, before I could even write. And when did you chase after publishing? I mean, when, how did that all From the time happen? I was a teenager, from the time I was 12, I was submitting stories. Wow, look I, at you. I am like... 58 now. So that was Uh back in the days of typewriters and mailing off stories and waiting months to hear on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I started submitting short stories and was a poem when I was 15. And it was in some college uh, journal. And uh, because I started college when I was 15, I skipped high school. And so that was my first publication was when I was 15. Wow. And I remember just like crying when I got the acceptance letter. I bet because you'd been submitting since you were 12. You'd gotten a bunch of rejections. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I was proud of those rejections because they meant I was trying. They meant that I was trying to go after my dream. And they were proof. You know, I could pick them mm-hmm. up and look at them and go, this proves that I'm working at it. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Is I, I used to, I came from a marketing and sales background, and I was a singer, so I, I didn't come to writing till till later on accident. Um, but my uh, when I started submitting, the my feeling was every rejection means I'm closer to yes. 
so I just kept submitting because, you know, you got to get a million no's before you get a yes. So every no, I'm like, score, next one, you know, and kind of thing. So you just have to find your rhythm to get through all those rejections because if you give up, you'll never get it. Exactly. You know, it's like I constantly tell people, um, and this this actually had more bearing before indie publishing became a thing, but I right. always tell people that I cannot guarantee you success, but I guarantee that if you quit, you will fail. Exactly. Exactly. You know, That's like the only surefire thing. I had, by the time I was, I got my first contract, book contract, when I was 36, I think, and I had 600, yeah, 600 rejection slips by then. Wow. From various agents and editors. I had seven books in the closet. You know, that will remain in the closet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you never published them? (laughs) Oh, hell no. They they were not good enough. You know, it's like, I always look at first books. You know, it's like like a concert violinist, you know. You have to put Mm -hmm. in the rehearsal before you're ready to go on stage. And those books were my mm-hmm. rehearsal. Yeah, and they the were your practice. I, right, they were my practice. And I've plundered them for plots and characters and stuff over the years. Um, right. But, yeah, it's like my first book that I actually wrote the entire book was, oh, I think it probably was about 250,000 words. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was typed on an old typewriter. And, you know, it was margin to margin. The pages had almost no margins on them. And this was, you know, when before, I think, I think before whiteout was a thing. Right. So it's like the little pencil erasers, marks all over right. it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. You were determined. Well, um, and and like Ray would tell the story about writing Fahrenheit 451, he was renting a typewriter underneath the Los Angeles library. And so he kept renting this typewriter for 10 cents an hour, and he didn't have any money, so he was trying to type it really fast. And I just think, oh, my gosh, we're so lucky now. We can just move a paragraph. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's like I would never go back to, to writing on a typewriter or longhand. No. I wrote two books longhand, you know, at one point. Wow. Because when I worked for the state, I used to save up my time off, and then I would mm-hmm. take a take uh, as much time off as I could between, like, three-day holidays so I get the extra days. Oh, the extra and, days, uh-huh. Yeah, I did that. I wrote two books during two periods like that. I wrote, like, wow. The, it, there was probably about 14 days I had total. I wrote, you mm-hmm. know, a book in 14 days and another book in another time period like that, and I did it longhand. Oh, my gosh, you're pouring uh-huh. in. My hand is cramping just thinking about it. <laughs> oh, I have horrible tendonitis now. I could never do that now. But um, I I just had so much trouble focusing when I got home from work because I was, well, I was in an abusive marriage at the time, that mm-hmm. the only way I could really sit down and write anything more than just a short story or poetry was to have that chunk of time 
Right. So that's how right. two of those books in the closet came out, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, you typically write paranormal-type things. Is there any other genre that you want to try? Mm, I, well, one of my series that I, uh, one of my indie series is sort of urban fantasy dystopian. So it's got some dystopian okay. aspects in it. Um, I always loved science fiction. There is one one book that I would like to write that I know is mm-hmm. science fiction because it's off of it would be off a short story that I wrote. But frankly, oh, I love that. I'm not I'm not going to go genre jumping genre jumping because it's not mm-hmm. good economic sense. And no. I love what I'm writing now. So you know, it's like I've got more right. books that I'd like to write than I'll ever have the time to write. Right. Right. And I think for um, anybody listening who's dabbling in writing, short stories is just, it is not a waste of time. It is a wonderful way to learn your craft and also have ideas for books later. Because the first time I met Ray, I had finished my first novel and I was getting many rejections. And so I asked him, you know, what I could do to improve my writing. And for some reason, I thought he was going to recommend a writing book. And instead, he said, write a short story every week for a year. He said, you will be a different writer at the end of the year. And I had already sold short stories, so I knew they didn't make very much money. I thought, "Mm." but (laughs) I was so desperate that eventually I started. And it was the best writing experience I've ever had in my life. And it was so fun that I did it for a year and a half. And two of my book series are directly from those short stories um, because they just wouldn't let go and they turned into something bigger. So I always feel like short stories can be, you know, just a window into what's possible. So, you know, I just think not enough people give them credit because you don't make a lot of money off a short story. But um, they're so well worth it, um, especially if you're beginning. Write all those short stories and save them all because some of them turn into something much bigger, right? Well, you know, I wrote a lot of short stories. Unfortunately, I have found that for me, the short length is a problem. <laughs> I, oh, I, you have a hard time I, I can write it. a novel much <laughs> easier than I can write a short story. But I think they are very valuable and they're they're a fun outlet to try. And mm-hmm. also for, I found like I've done for one of my series, a number of uh, short novellas because there were certain things I wanted to write about that wouldn't fit in the books, you know, or right. I wanted to explore a certain thing that they touched on and talked about, but that didn't quite work in the book. And it's like, that's right. a very viable way to do it now. Especially Mm -hmm. since you can put out a short story on, you know, if you're an indie author, you can put out your short stories and stuff. And Mm -hmm. like in my Bewitching Bedlam series, I have what's called a kajen, which is a cat that's a kind of like a dejen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to do his origin story because people love him. His name's Bubba, and he's <laughs> kind of a trickster. And mm-hmm. I wanted to do his origin story, but there's no way it would ever fit in the book because he's not the main character, and I write first person. So right. I wrote his origin story in a short story. 
Love it. And the other cool thing that we can do now with indie publishing that we couldn't before is you can also write short stories for your fans. Like I've written, um, I try every year to write like a Christmas short story with somebody from the werewolf pack or something going Christmas shopping if you're a werewolf and you know, or whatever. And, and so in my Christmas newsletter, I can put a link that's just for my subscribers and my people and they can go and get something free and it's fun for me and fun for them. And we didn't used to have that option. Well, one of the perks that I'm doing now in my newsletters is I am serializing short stories from some of my series um, oh, there nice. first before they before I ever collect them and publish them. Okay. So, you know, they yeah. get a serial so get part look. of a story. Right. Yeah. I love that. So everyone who's listening has to go click that link and sign up for Yasmin's newsletter. <laughs> oh, I hurt. love having a newsletter. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, for for devoted readers who really want to know who, when your stuff comes out, that is the primary way to find out at this point mm-hmm. because the algorithms on the social media sites are so skewed yeah. that you're not going to see most of what your favorite authors put out on their social media. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I keep yeah, telling like my Facebook, readers. Unless you pay, yeah, they don't even show you. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, I will pay for an ad for a new release or something, but I'm not going to pay to promote basic posts. That's ridiculous. Right, you know, exactly. Like, so I really yeah. highly encourage people, whoever your favorite authors are, go sign up for their newsletters and take a look at their websites because that's where you're going to find the the most up-to-date information. Very true. And um, I wanted, I told you before the show, but I wanted everybody to know that um, your last name, Gallinorn, is special. Um, you you and your <laughs> husband made that special, right? Can you tell us how Actually, you did that? I just think that's so cool. Yes. You know, when we got married, A... He took my last name first because I didn't want to take his because, well, just <laughs> because. Did he have a really last name? That. <laughs> he had a very long last name, and, well, it's a fine name and everything like that. You know, it's not the best mm-hmm. name for an author, and right. we did want the same last name. And then he took my my maiden name first, but I did not want to be associated with that name uh, for personal reasons. And so shortly after we got married, we decided to create our own, create our own last name. And we both love Lord of the Rings, so we looked through until we found not a name out of there, but we looked through the Elven Dictionary that's in the, I think it's the Silmarillion, I'm not sure. But uh, our last name, Galanorn, means green tree in Elvish. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And that, you know, because nature is very special to both of us for both spiritual and just personal reasons. You know, it it fits Mm -hmm. us. And it's a name, you know. It does, and yeah, and you didn't pick an Elvish word that no one can pronounce. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) 
you guys did a really good job. But I just love that you guys both built it together. So it's like you get married and you build a life together. And I just love that you guys built a name together. That's great. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, to me, to both of us, it made perfect sense. It's like, let's create our own last name because it'll be unique to who we are, you know, and what we stand yeah. for and what's important to us. Yeah, I love that. And before we, time's like racing by, but before we go, I always like to ask um, some favorite reads and maybe some favorite binge TV, just because I like to add it to my (laughs) list, but I think listeners do too. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm watching Riverdale right now, (laughs) which I find absolutely campy, cheesy, and fun. It's a whole lot of fun. Yes. Um, let me I see. I haven't watched that one yet. I, oh, God, I watched did you watch so many Santa shows Clarita Di- Did you watch Santa Clarita Diet? I started watching that, but I'm not into zombies that much, except as villains. I'm you not know? either, but it was so it was so funny. But, yeah, I, I'm not either, but another author told me you have to watch it. So I'm like, okay, it's really bloody, but it, it was very funny. <laughs> I love the show Dead to Me, and I hope they come out with another uh, season of it. And that's a Netflix original. Actually, I'm loving yeah. Netflix originals. I mean, I think they're doing a brilliant yeah. job there. Me too. And, and I loved the new Netflix season of Lucifer. I, I don't know if you watched that. Lucifer, but it was really no. good. Um, they did a great job taking that over from Fox, I think. I'm glad that they're coming out. I mean, to me, it's almost like indie publishing in a sense. It's like they're mm-hmm, getting away from the big Hollywood, you know, blockbuster. We must have this and this and this and be generic to appeal to the mass audience. And they're doing some very unique stuff. And that's actually what I see happening with indie publishing now. You know, it's like I'm mm-hmm. happier now in indie than I was in trad publishing because I am doing what I want to do and what I love to do, and I I can market it the way I feel it needs to be marketed. Yeah. And you can write the story that you think it needs to be. Not what the yes. publisher thinks it needs to be. Because I had to change a number of things, and I, I got tired of having to have, you know, a required amount of sex scenes per book and stuff like that. Right. And right. It's like now it's like if it's if it works, great. If it doesn't, it's not going to go in the book. Right. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on. This was so fun. We're going to have to do it again because I have a million more questions, but we're out of time. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love but, to, to talk to you again, and I had so much fun talking yeah. today. Yeah, and everyone go sign up for Yasmin's newsletter and check out the um, – the Wild Hunt series, book seven just came out, and book eight is coming out September 2nd. So yes. get out and there I and have grab those books. So many things that you can read on my site, for whether you love cozy mysteries or dystopian fantasy. So just Yay. take a look at my site, and you can see them all. Thanks for joining us on Bookland. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.